We mentioned last week a, an interesting and provocative comment of Rabbeinu Bachia, Rabbeinu Bachia ben Asher, that I had not seen before. I thought it was quite, uh, quite a, uh, an interesting thing to say. He said that at the end of last week's parasha, the end of parasha has told us, the Torah records that both Yitzchak and Rivka, both of Yaakov's parents, sent him to Padan Aram, to Lavan, to find a wife. And yet, yet, we mentioned that the Talmud, in a well-known passage of the Talmud, the Talmud criticizes Yaakov. It says he was punished for delinquency in Kibbut Abba'im for the 22 years that he was away from his parents. For, again, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not the host and I can't mute your microphone, so please, please, please everyone keep an eye on your microphones. So, yet, despite the fact that he was obeying his parents' orders, nevertheless, he was punished he was punished for the 22 years. He was away from his parents. He suffered in that his parents, that, that Yosef, his son, Mida Kenegan Mida, was away from him for 22 years. So Rabbi Abachia wonders, he was just doing what they told him to do. They told him, go, so he went. Why was he punished? Rabbi Abachia suggests, perhaps he says, they just wanted him to marry Leah and come back to handle the matter expeditiously, efficiently, not tarry a long time, even though Rivka wanted him away from Esau, but nevertheless, the, the commission they gave him, go find a wife, should have been wrapped up uh, in, uh, with all deliberate speed. Because, however, Rabbeinu Bachia says, what, uh, what went wrong? He fell in love with Rachel. He fell in love with Rachel because she was beautiful. That's why he offered seven years. That was not the plan. The plan was to make a prudent and sober negotiation for Leah, that was what his parents had in mind. He was infatuated with Rachel, and therefore he offered seven years. And therefore, all that time that he was there was because he had fallen in love with Rachel and was making uh, extravagant offers for Rachel's hand. That was not his parents' plan, and that's why he was punished. I want to discuss tonight something that we have discussed in the past. I want to revisit it, discuss some, some we'll, we'll revisit some of the previous things we've said and discuss some new perspectives as well. That is the whole idea, that the Torah, it is remarkable, the Torah makes a, a, uh, a big deal out of the beauty, seemingly physical beauty, of the matriarchs, most of them. Sarah is described as Isha Yifas Mare'at, when they went down to Mitzrayim, Pashas Lech Lecha. Avram acknowledges that Sarah is very beautiful, that's why she was taken to Paro, everyone was so, everyone lauded her, and Paro seized her, Rivka, it says that Rivka, when in Parsha's Chayisar, it says Rivka was very beautiful. In this week's Parsha, it says Rachel was very beautiful. It says about Rachel that she was, it says, a somewhat difficult Pasuk, from a Farshim struggle with what Rakos means, but for Rachel, that the Torah is completely clear. She was very beautiful. So the Torah makes a big deal out of the, makes a point that, that a number of the great biblical figures, the great uh, female biblical figures, were very beautiful. And that itself is interesting. Why is that relevant? Uh, why is that important to know the, the legacy they left, the people they were? Why is it so important to discuss their physical attributes? And furthermore, with Yaakov in particular, with Yaakov and Rachel, the Psukim indicate, as Rabbeinu Bachia notes, the Psukim indicate that Yaakov's attraction to her actually was based on her physical beauty. Ve'nei le'er rakos, v'rachel ha'yisa yifas tar v'yifas mareh. 
that in contrast to Leah, Rachel was completely beautiful. Some say Leah was less beautiful. Some say Leah was just as beautiful, except she had this one problem with her eyes and Rachel was completely perfect. But whatever it was, Rachel is being contrasted to Leah that Rachel was Yufas Tar, Yufas Mareh. Vayahav Yaakov is Rachel. And Yaakov loved Rachel. There's an aliyah in between, so we sometimes people don't realize the connection because we stop for we stop for an aliyah. But that's how the psukim read. Rachel was very beautiful, outstanding, surpassingly beautiful, and Yaakov loved her. And Yaakov and Yaakov said he wanted to marry her. So why would Yaakov have made that decision? Rabbeinu Bachi indeed says that he was criticized for it, he, it because he he allowed his uh, his personal interests to to uh, push aside his his duty to his parents, his kibbutz avaim, and he was actually punished for it. But in any event, I want to discuss this further tonight. Is it really the case that, that Yaakov was interested in Rachel because of her physical beauty? Why would that be? And so on. And in general, what is the Torah's attitude toward physical attraction as a basis for, for marriage, for relationships? So one of the most forthright of the Rishonim in acknowledging and accepting that Rachel's beauty was the basis for Yaakov's interest in her is the Radak. The Radak, he says that the, the, the Radak explains, Yaakov only offered seven years for Rachel, he would not have offered seven years for Leah, just that Lavan manipulated him, he really wanted Rachel. Rachel was beautiful, except she had this fault in her eyes, but Rachel was completely beautiful, flawless, without any, without any defects. So the Radak says, okay, so, he, so he, he loved her because she was beautiful. What is that all about? The Radak, on the one hand, he's committed to Pshuto Shal Mikra, that Yaakov apparently was interested in her because she was beautiful. On the other hand, Yaakov was a tzaddik. Yaakov is someone we have the highest esteem for. Kavanah tzaddikim. The tzaddikim are not interested in self-indulgence, in, in a life of hedonism. Why were they looking for a beautiful woman? Yaakov chose Rachel. Radak says it black and white. Yaakov chose Rachel because she was very beautiful. He offered seven years for that. He was upset that he was given love in exchange. He was given Leah in exchange because Leah was not as beautiful as Rachel. Why was Yaakov so fixated on the beautiful Rachel? So the Radak gives several reasons. I'm not sure how satisfying any of the reasons are, but the Radak says that, that he wanted to procreate. He wanted to have children. An attractive woman would arouse him to more more conjugal intimacy, and that would cause him to have more children. Also, he says he wanted to have handsome children, and the children resemble their parents. Again, that kind of, uh, that kind of begs the question, why was it important to have handsome children, if Tzadikim don't really care so much about this? Also, he says, it's really a Gemara, the, the Gemara says that, the, that nice things, nice things uh, cause a person to, to rejoice, and it's, uh, a person has to be, Hashem wants people to rejoice, as the Rambam says, Hasidim make a big deal out of this, but it's also a Rambam, it's also the Radak, it's also based on Psukim. Hashem wants us to rejoice in the world, so Hashem wants us to have good things. That's why Hashem wants Tzadikim to have, uh, to have good things, inclu- including a beautiful wife. Okay, he wants them to be Samach Bechelkam and so on. Kind of a, a Hasidish approach, but one that is consistent with general Torah approaches as well. So, okay, so all, all, all these answers, it's, you know, they're, 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 I don't know how satisfying the, any of these answers are. At the end of the day, surely Yaakov should have had criteria for his wife that, were, that went beyond uh, physical beauty. Maybe they did, maybe that was one of the factors. But in any event, the, the Radak, like, like Rebbeinu Bachia, the Radak accepts Pshutu Shalmikra 
that Yaakov's interest in Rachel was rooted in a, in a substantial way in the fact that she was beautiful. He struggles to explain how that's consistent with Yaakov as a tzaddik, but he also says that, uh, unlike Rabbeinu Bakhi, who says he was criticized for it, Radak makes no criticism. He just says that that's what Yaakov did. That was that that was that was that that, that that's how tzaddikim do things. He says, and the and that 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 is what that is what the Radak says. The Ralbag also says straight up. He says that the reason Yaakov chose Rachel over Leah is because Leah had this flaw with her eyes. So first of all, that is a health issue, he says. It's a, it, it's a symptom of some kind of underlying health condition. And, for, and, and he says, and Rachel was apparently healthier. And furthermore, he says, she was beautiful. And that's why, and, that's, and that, that's part, that was part of Yaakov's motivation for choosing, for choosing Rachel. Um, the Arachayim, uh, I guess it's taking a somewhat uh, firmer or more conventional position, the Archaim stoutly rejects the idea that the Yaakov chose her because she was beautiful. He says, Pirush Lolotzad Yafya. Yaakov, it says, Vayav Yaakov as Rachel, even though that Pasuk, as we mentioned earlier, appears immediately following the Pasuk of Rachel Haisa Yafas Tar Yafas Mara, that's not why he loved her. He loved her because she was Bazugo, she was destined for him. And, but then actually he turns around and then, then he says, like the Radak, he said, his first approach is, uh, is a more uh, you know, conventionally pious approach. But then he says, no, Chazal tell us in the, in the Gemara and Shabbos, this is what the Radak alluded to as well, that, the, the, that, that it's appropriate for a Talmud Chacham to have a beautiful life, to fend off considerations about Yetzir Hara, that, that he, shouldn't, he shouldn't stray after other women. The Gemara brings a story about Abba Chilkia. A great tzaddik of that time. It says that it says that his wife came out to meet him after after a day of laboring in the fields. She came out to meet him, and she was all uh, she was all bejeweled, and she was all um, she she was dressed to the nines apparently. So the and they, they said, why does she do that? So he says, because it's uh, because I I don't want to I don't want to have eyes for anybody but her. And he said, we we want our relationship to be strong, and we want I, I want to be interested only in her. So even even tzaddikim, they're human beings. The the, the Gemara and Shabbos that the Arachayim brings just says that the one one of the one of the things one of the good that Hashem puts in the world is ishem kushetes l'tamidichachamim. A, a woman who is attractively made up for Talmud Chachamim, but again, Chazal have this notion. Chazal, Chazal recognized that even great men are human beings. They have the they have the the Yitzhara, the physical the physical urgings that, that men do, and therefore, so the, the Archaim still can't quite bring himself to say cannot bring himself to say that Yaakov was a was a, was a man with with this type of Yitzhara like like we are. He says no, Yaakov was Nishtanel Malyusa. Yaakov was. Had no Yetzirah, but nevertheless, the Torah is teaching us, Torah is teaching us uh, how we should conduct ourselves. For ordinary people, at least like us, we should learn from what Yaakov did. Okay, so the Archaim is, is clearly uncomfortable with the idea that Yaakov would have, would have felt himself in need of a beautiful wife to avoid having uh, improper thoughts. But for the rest of us, the Archaim says that's appropriate. And the other Rishonim, Radak, the Ralbag, and so on, Benabachia, even Benabachia, Benabachia says that, 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 that he fell in love with Rachel and he married her. He was criticized for that because he shouldn't have let that override his duty to his parents. But other than that, uh, that might have been okay. That might have been normal. As we've mentioned several times in the past, one of the most uh, astounding expressions of this view appears, of all places, in the Sheilos of Shvus Yaakov. The Sheilos of Shvus Yaakov of Rav Yaakov Reischer 
Rav Reicher was one of the great early achronim, one of the great poskim. He was really a, a posik's posik, bread and butter halacha. He wrote some of the great classic works on Shulchan Aruch Yeridea. He, his name is synonymous in the world of halacha with uh, meat and potatoes halacha. We, he, he's not well known as a theologian or as a, uh, or as, or as a student of, of Tarash Bechsav, but, but he says something in a tshuva which is uh, a remarkable, remarkable comment, and that is as follows. The, we may have mentioned some of this last week, but, ju- but, but just uh, to mention it again, not sure if we did, the, the Shavit Yaakov is talking about, it was actually a halachic question involving Yibam, Yibam and Chalitza. So we know that if a man dies childless, then the, his wife, and he has a brother, his wife has to do Yibam or Chalitza, leverage marriage, either the brother is supposed to marry her, or the brother performs Chalitza. There was an ancient machlokas in the time of the Mishnah, whether Yibum is ideal or Chalitza is ideal, everyone agrees that Yibum is actually ideal, but there, there is an opinion, the Shita of Abashol, Abashol, one of the Tanoim, he held that Yibum is a mitzvah only if done for the right reasons. Yibum is a very paradoxical affair in that every situation of Yibum where a man marries his deceased brother's wife, normally that's an erva, normally that's a kind of incest. Marrying a sister-in-law is normally incest, but that prohibition is set aside in, in favor of the mitzvah of Yibum. As soon as the mitzvah of Yibum, for some reason, does not apply, it reverts back to being erva, a very serious sister. Abishol says the mitzvah only applies if it's done l'shem mitzvah, for the right reason, for, for the for l'shem shemayim, but if it's done for personal interest, l'shem noy, l'shem ishus, because she's beautiful, she's attractive, you want a wife, if you do it for those types of reasons, then it is no longer really a mitzvah, and it becomes an avera. The Chum say no, the Chum say it doesn't matter why you marry her, a mitzvah is a mitzvah, it's objectively the right thing to do, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. Abishol therefore says that Bezman we should, even in those times, and certainly in our times, we should avoid doing Yibam, because it's only if you have pure intentions that it's a mitzvah, while the Chum say it doesn't matter what your intentions are, it's a mitzvah regardless. How do we paskin? Sfardim, following the Sfardik we shown him, paskin, historically like, like the Chachamim, that we do do Yibum, it doesn't matter what your intentions are, so Yibum, Yibum is still practical today. Ashkenazim historically followed other Rishonim, the Ashkenazic Rishonim, who paskin like Abashol, that we should not do Yibum because, because it's, uh, it can be a question of erva. So for many hundreds of years, Ashkenazim did not do Yibum, and Sfardim did. So the, the Shavuz Yaakov, several hundred years ago, was asked about a, a curious case where normally Ashkenazim did chalitza. You have to do one or the other. If we don't do Yibam, you do chalitza. Until a woman does either Yibam or chalitza, she cannot marry. She cannot marry anybody else. She's, she's like sort of married, quasi-married to the, to the Yavam, to the brother-in-law, until he resolves her status with either Yibam or chalitza. The Shavuz Yaakov deals with the case of a, a man who could not do chalitza. Physically, he had a deformity of his leg. Chalitza is a ceremony involving the leg and the shoe of the, of the brother. And his leg was deformed in such a way that, that he could not physically do chalitza. So he couldn't do chalitza physically. And if we don't allow Yibam, the woman remains in Aguna. She can't remarry. So it's a terrible, uh, terrible situation. So the Shvaziakov wanted to know if we can allow, even though we don't normally do Yibam, can we allow Yibam in this situation? And his answer is yes, we can. In this desperate situation, where, where if we don't allow Yibum, there's no solution for the woman, we actually will allow, we will allow Yibum. In the course of, of, his, of this argument, in the course of explaining why he thinks we should allow Yibum, he makes the following point. He says, when Abishol says that you can only do Yibum if you do it with pure intentions, L'shem Shemayim, 
It doesn't actually have to be pure intentions. It just has to be not totally impure intentions. Mixed motives are fine. The only thing that's not acceptable is if your intention is totally l'shem, l'shem, noy, beauty, and money, and something else. But as long as your motivation is at least partly l'shem shemayim, that is acceptable, that is good enough. How do I know this, he says? How do I prove this? From our parasha. He says, our parasha is not talking about Yibam. Our parasha is ordinary marriage. However, he says, Chazal also tell us that it's inappropriate to marry L'shem Amun. You shouldn't marry for money. And the Shavis Yaakov claims, and we'll discuss this in more detail soon, that you shouldn't marry L'shem Noi either. He claims that Chazal say a person shouldn't marry for beauty, for looks. Says the Shavis Yaakov, but everyone does. Yaakov Avinu did. He says that Chazal say you can't marry for beauty, he says. He married Rachel He married her because she was beautiful. That's what the Psukim say. He says at the end of the day that that's Psukim. You can have all you can have drush, you can have Torah if you want, but the Psukim say he married her because she was gorgeous, he says. So the how can Yaakov do that? Everyone does that, he said. Every, everyone marries women because they find them beautiful, because they have money, he says. That's why people marry. You tell me everyone is doing wrong, everyone is Avrayanim. How can this be, he says? The, the Chazal said the children won't be good if born from such a marriage. Are you tell me that Yosef and Benyamin, Yaakov's children from Rachel, were chas v'shalom problematic children? Everybody who marries for, for looks and for money, everybody's children are going to be uh, problematic? It can't be, he says. It must be, as we said, mixed motives are fine. A person is, it's, it's perfectly normal and acceptable for a person to, have, to, to be interested and to care about the fact that his wife is beautiful, that his wife is rich, that is fine, he says, as long as his motives are at least partially l'shem shemayim. So, okay, so, the, so, so together with Radak and Rolbag and Rabbeinu Bachia, who say that Yaakov married Rachel because she was beautiful, the Shavuot Yaakov says that is what the, the Mikros, the Psukim, Armachiach as well, that he married her because she was beautiful, and that's okay. Al-Pialachi says that is okay, as long as that is not your, your, your sole motive, as long as that is not your, your complete uh, intention, he says, that is fine. And the same thing applies to Yibum, and that's why he was, allowed, he, that's why he was willing to allow Yibum in, in his case. Okay, that is what the, that, that's what the Shavuos Yaakov says. There's a, there's, a, there's a comment also attributed to various people. I, I, I saw it in the name of the, the Vilna Gon, it's attributed to others as well. That the Shlomo HaMelech said, it says in Mishlei, we recite it uh, every Friday night. We say, at the end of Eshachayel, we say, Sheker Achen, Vehevel Ayofi, Isha Yeres Hashem, Hitis Halal. That Achen, uh, grace, is, is, is false, and, and Yofi is vanity, beauty is vanity, that's not important. The things that women are often praised for, they make all kinds of lists of the most beautiful this and that, you know, the, that that's all Sheker and, and Hevel. None of that matters. Isha Yeres Hashem Hitzes Halal. A woman shall be praised for her fear of God. Says says the Gaon of Vilna. How can we be firmer than the than, than the than the Chumash, He says the Imahos, the holy matriarchs. They're they're praised for beauty. Rivka, Vanara Tovas Mara Maod. We mentioned Rachel, Sarah. The, the holy matriarchs are praised for being beautiful. So how can you say Shakir Achein Yofi? The, the Psukim make a point of saying this that they were beautiful. So what does the Pasuk mean in Mishlei? says the, the going as follows. We have a, a clever rereading of the Pasuk. If they lack Yeres Hashem. If a woman who lacks Yeres Hashem, she has only, only superficial beauty, she lacks character, she lacks more important qualities, then, you know, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, 
that that's worthless. In that case, we say Shekhar came to Yofi. He himself says, confess himself But he says, however, Isha Yeras Hashem, a woman who has Yerushimayim, he tisalal, she shall be praised for the beauty as well, for the for the chain and the yofi as well. So as long as as long as the, that, as long as the beauty doesn't stop at the skin, as long as the as long as the beauty goes deeper, then we, we include the, we include the praises of her beauty as well. If she only has the shekhar chain and yofi, for that we say that the for that we say that it's uh, it's shekhar chain yofi. But a woman like the like the holy matriarchs, Sarah, Rachel. Rivka, even Leah, according to some, who certainly had the, 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 the internal beauty as well, the beauty of character as well. For them, it is perfectly, perfectly correct to praise them for their physical beauty as well. And indeed, the Torah makes a point of emphasizing the, emphasizing the physical beauty of the, of the Imahus. Now, I mentioned earlier... Excuse me, Rabbi? Yes. Yes. Um... Why can't, why can't it be okay? They might look nice, but why can't, why can't this just be all spiritual beauty? If you're talking about our our avod, our forefathers who were on such a high plane of spirituality and godliness, and that materialism didn't matter to them except to promote, you know, Yiddishkeit and promote, you know, proselytizing. Why couldn't it just be they just saw in their prospective wives or their wives the inner beauty because when a person has inner has Yirat Shemayim and is is happy with themselves there's usually like a, an aura about them that you can see, you can feel why can't it, why does it have to be just physical why can't it just be right. the non-physical right. aspect right, so the, the, the suggestion is Lin, Linda is suggesting all the sources we have cited until now the everyone from Rabbeinu Bachia to the Radak to the even even the Gona Vilna to the to the Shvus Yaakov, they've all assumed that the beauty in question of of Rachel of Sarah of uh, of, of Rivka is physical beauty, the kind of things that makes uh, you know the, the kind of thing that men in general are interested in. Why is it possible to can, can we suggest that, that that the beauty here is not it doesn't refer to her, her physical measurements it refers to an internal beauty which can manif- which can which can manifest itself in such a way that people find that attractive as well a, a, a beauty of character a beauty of personality that can that can manifest itself as a, a woman is certainly not just a, a, her physical self a woman what makes everyone's going to agree that a big part of what makes a woman attractive in general is going to be something beyond the physical so is it possible to, to say that the beauty here that, that's mentioned is the beauty of the this kind of beauty the beauty that's a reflection of, of character of personality rather than physical beauty I wouldn't be surprised to see people say that I, I was focusing more on those who understand that the beauty here in question was physical I don't actually have in my in, in, in my sources that I'm discussing tonight. I don't actually have sources who say that. It is interesting that all these sources, even the Arachayim, even the Arachayim Akadosh, who is uncomfortable with the idea that Yaakov would have been interested in beauty, even he, even he, he says it. it, it even he, it, it doesn't occur to him to say that the beauty in question was uh, was spiritual beauty. He says either that that's not why Yaakov was interested in her. Or he says it was good for Tamilicham, so they should, uh, for people to avoid Yetzirah. Even he doesn't seem to have occurred to him to say that the beauty meant uh, a, a deeper spiritual beauty. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Why not? I guess for that, we, we'd, have to study more the, we'd have to study more of the biblical text and the Midrashim and see whether that, that idea, which is you know, popular today, whether that would be 
the, the kind of thing we'd expect to see in the Tzukim, using words like uh, Yifas Mara, Tovas Mara, uh, Yifas Toar. The, 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 the Mepharshim generally explain Toar and Mara, they explain the difference, one refers to the form, one refers to the face. At the end of the day, certainly with the face, we could certainly say that, that it really refers to uh, you know, the, the figure, the physical figure, maybe less so. The face, obviously, is a reflection of the more of a reflection of the soul that dwells therein. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's a good question. It's a, it's a valid point, and I believe more modern commentaries, more, especially, especially some, of the, some of the more, uh, the more modern, more, 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 more traditional and pious commentaries might, uh, might explain the psukim that way. But yeah, so it's a good point. But, but nevertheless, the, 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 the commentaries we're discussing tonight all seem to take the, the psukim at, at, at face value and understand that the beauty is... Shuto Kamashmo, a physical beauty. But yeah, but it's a good point that that, that bears further uh, further consideration. So we mentioned earlier that the Shvuz Yaakov, Rav Reischer, when he says that you're not allowed to marry for ulterior motives, he says, he says that Chazal tell us that anyone who marries L'Shemoman for the sake of money, Olinoi, or for beauty, is, is problematic and the children won't turn out well. So the, the, the statement that if you marry L'shem Mamon for money, that, that's bad for the children, that actually appears in, that actually appears in our Talmud. That, that's a Gemara in Kedushin. However, the Gemara does not say if you marry L'shem Beauty. That it does not say. One might, one might have said, well, money is, a, is not a good basis for marriage, but maybe beauty, maybe physical attraction is important in marriage. Maybe that is a good basis for marriage. The Shavuz Yaakov somehow claims to us that even beauty, Chazal say, should not, is not a good basis for marriage, to which he explains it means it shouldn't be your only basis, although it's, it's legitimate as a partial basis. So the truth is, the, even though it's not in the Talmud, the source for this statement that a person should not marry for beauty is, is in a couple of places in Midrashic literature, in the Elio Zuta, the of Elio, Elio Zuta, as well as Derech Zuta, one of the Masechus Kitanas. These are non-Talmudic sources, these are... Other, other sources of Talmudic era, perhaps, or other venerable Midrashic sources, where, 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 where these, these sources do, do indicate that a person should not marry for beauty. The truth is, they don't, they don't even say you shouldn't marry for beauty. They say you shouldn't marry for money, and they say you shouldn't marry for znus. They both, they both use the expression, a person shouldn't marry for znus, which means for, for promiscuity, for fornication. A person shouldn't marry for znus. It's not exactly clear what that means. But in, 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 the, in, in a famous essay called the Geras HaKodesh, the Geras HaKodesh was a medieval work, a work of Kabbalah and piety dealing with marriage and relationships, conjugal relationships. The Geras HaKodesh was commonly believed to be by the Ramban. The, that particular attribution is, is, is highly controversial. The Chevelle, Rabbi Chevelle discusses it in his edition. I believe he thinks it's not the Ramban. But the, whatever it is, the Geras HaKodesh was, uh, was a, medieval, a classic medieval essay, uh, heavily Kabbalistically infused on the subject of marriage and the, the proper attitude toward marriage, the proper attitude toward intimacy and, and marriage, al Pitara, al Kabbalah. So in the course of the Geras HaKodesh, he says that he wants to tell you a very important point, that a man and a woman, the attraction has to be Spiritual, it has to the, the, the intentions when they, when they are together has to be spiritual. It has to be pious and elevated. He says, and he quotes he quotes Chazal as saying Amruzal, and the sages have said Anyone who marries for the sake of beauty, if, if that's what the attraction is based on, 
he says it is, it's, it's going to be a bad thing. And the reason is, Al Pisod, he says, the mystery of this is, the secret of this is, if a person marries and is attracted to his wife because of her physical beauty, that, that, it, that lacks L'Shem Shemayim, the, the, their connection, their, their attraction is not L'Shem Shemayim. He's thinking about her physical attributes, he says, and, and, and his mind is, 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 descends and it, from its, elevate, its proper elevated state to a, a vulgar, more physical, more physical state, he says, and that's why the children will be problematic. So the author of Igaris HaKodesh, which again, Chevelle says, is no such Gemara. Ramosheb Turiel says he has in mind the, the, the Elio Zuta, or the Masechus Terecheret Zuta. So the Igaris HaKodesh, basing himself on, on, on Kabbalistic sources, as well as some kind of tradition from some kind of comment in the literature of our sages, says that it actually is problematic for a man to be attracted to a woman exclusively or primarily, or again, how far he's going, that's what we're talking about, but it is actually problematic for the attraction to be too deeply based on the physical. Again, I, I can't really fully explain his explanation because it is it's based largely on Kabbalistic frameworks, and, uh, and which, I, which I certainly don't understand well. But the, the Igaris HaKodesh was the first one, apparently, the first one I've seen, basing himself perhaps on these Midrashic sources to argue that the, it is problematic for a, for, a, for, a, for a marriage, for a relationship to be based on physical attraction because, uh, because it leads to impure, impure thoughts and impure, impure intention when, during intimacy and, that, and all that is inappropriate. That's the author of Igaris HaKodesh. Again, what that means in practice, which was Yaakov already told us, that even if Chazal said that, that they meant it shouldn't be the only basis for attraction, but they're not saying it can't be part of the basis for the attraction. And that certainly is the guidance, I think, that pretty much any responsible uh, rabbinic figure would give today. Uh, maybe I'm generalizing too much, but I think that would be certainly the dominant one, certainly in the circles with, with, with I'm familiar with, that physical attraction should be a, 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 should be a major part of a, of a healthy relationship between husband and wife. But nevertheless, the Igaris HaKodesh does have this, uh, th- this idea that if the attraction is based on the physical, it actually is problematic and it can, and it can, lead, to, uh, it can lead to undesirable consequences for the children. I, I actually have to mention, the Igaris HaKodesh is, is not a fanatic. He, he's not some kind of, uh, some kind of you know, anti-physical, anti, um, anti-sexuality figure. I always point out that the Igaris HaKodesh was actually whoever whoever the author was was actually sharply critical of the Rambam, and the Rambam following Aristotle. They were the ones he said who were, who were too dismissive of the physical. Aristotle used to say that the sense of touch is, is vulgar, it's crude. The touch is the most is the most physical and coarse of the senses, and it's it's something that's beneath us as human beings. And they apparently had considered uh, sexuality to be shameful and vulgar and something that we kind of we hold our nose and uh, but but beyond that it's not something not something beautiful it's not something that we should uh, that we should uh, that not something elevated Igaris the Kodesh begins I think right at the beginning by saying this is uh, this is a, a pernicious Greek idea uh, again when comes Hanukkah time we're getting Hanukkah soon we hear all kinds of Torah at least in the circles in which I move all kinds of Torah about how the Greeks represented the body and the Olympics and statues and physical and hedonism and, and Torah represents the more elevated things and Chachma and, and, and spirituality and, and intellectual things. But the truth is, you know, the, Greeks, the, Greeks were, the Greeks had a culture spanning many hundreds of years and they had thinkers who were all over the map on, on various questions. And the version of quote-unquote Greek philosophy that the Rambam found so attractive 
was very much not one that worshipped the physical. The, Rambam, the Rambam's Aristotle, whatever Aristotle may have actually thought, the Rambam's interpretation of Aristotle is extremely ascetic. It's extremely uh, dismissive of the physical as being anything at all. That's why the Rambam says in Olam Haba there will be no bodies, the, 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 because bodies are, are useless. Bodies are just a coarse physical thing. Why would we want bodies for, for the long-term felicity of, of humanity? And, and when it comes to sexuality, the, the Geras HaKodesh is quite, criti- quite critical of the Rambam and Aristotle for, for dismissing the physical as being uh, contemptible and beneath our, our interest. He says, no, the God, God created man, God created man and woman, God created the, the system of the world that we have. These are holy things that when done with the proper intentions, these can be elevated things and we shouldn't dismiss them, that that's a Greek heretical attitude, he says. Nevertheless, even though the Geras HaKodesh was in some ways much more positive toward the body and sexuality than the Rambam was. Here, in this part, in, in this section, he takes a position which is rather less friendly toward, rather less uh, modern or friendly toward the physical. He says that the no se'ishel yofi is problematic. The attraction and the intention, the, 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 the attraction between man and wife and the intention they have when during intimacy should not be based on the physical, and if it is, then that can cause problems for, the, for, for their project. The, someone, <clears throat> someone raises the question, that, someone points out that, uh, that, 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 that we were saying before, I think, if we discuss the question of Rachel, if we say Rachel's beauty was physical, then, then we have to say that Leah was less perfect. If we say Rachel's beauty was spiritual, then the implication would be that Leah had less spiritual beauty, which maybe we're not so comfortable saying. Okay, but, but in, any, in any event, the, 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 whether Chazal actually said this or not, and what they meant by L'shem Znus, the Geras HaKodesh and the Shavos Yaakov do record this tradition that Chazal were opposed to marrying for the sake of beauty. What that means already is uh, open to interpretation. The Shavos Yaakov says it shouldn't be the sole motive, which I think we can all agree is, uh, is, uh, is, is, is very wise advice, but, but it's, it's legitimate for it to be... Uh, Part of the motivation, which again, and the Shavasaka points out, everyone does that. That's how the world works. People marry. People marry the women that they uh, that they find attractive, and that that's normal, and that and that is standard. The there's a tshuva of the Marik, Rabbi Yosef Kalon, 15th century. The tshuva of the Marik, a, a favorite tshuva of mine. I discuss it all the time. The Marik was asked about a man who was interested in marrying a certain woman. And the, the father of the man objected. doesn't say why he objected. The father of the man did not like the woman he wanted, did not approve of the match. The father was telling his son not to marry her. The question was, Kibar Nava'em. We, we started discussing last week with Rebbeinu Bachya. What's, what do you do? Kibar Nava'em or, 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 or doing the things that you think are important to you, marrying the woman that you love. Says the Marik, and this ruling is brought in Shulchan Aruch, says the Marik, if the woman is appropriate, she's Isha Hoganeslo, then the father has no right to object. And he gives three reasons. One reason is, he says, because Kibbutz Aim, we paskin as Mishal Av, the son is not obligated to spend his own money, he's obligated to take care of the father, but the father has to give him his credit card. The, the son has to go shopping for the father, but, but he can ask his father for his credit card. He doesn't have to spend his own money to take care of the father. It's a debate in the, in the Gemara, that's how we paskin. It's, it's more complicated than that, but that's the basic holding of the Gemara. Therefore, the Marik says, giving up the woman that you love is, is not something that Kibbutz Avim demands that you do. Another reason, he says, we started discussing this last week also, is that Kibbutz Aim does not require listening to, to arbitrary orders from a parent. 
it requires doing things in which their covered is involved, like feeding them and giving them to drink and standing up for them and not contradicting them. But if they just tell you it's cold outside, wear a sweater, the Marik says that you have, that, that, that's, not, that's not covered, that's not Mora, that their interests are not directly involved, you have no obligation to listen to, that, to listen to them. Again, that's debated by other postkin, but that's the position of the Marik. The third reason of the Marik, though, is an incredibly, uh, incredibly uh, interesting reason. He says, the middle reason actually, he says, Chazal insists that a person is supposed to love his wife. Chazal wanted a man to marry a woman who finds favor in his eyes. Chazal felt that was very important. He brings different, different cases where Chazal said, different examples where Chazal said it was very important that a husband should love his wife. It's not just a contractual relationship. It's important that a husband should actually love his wife. Says the Marik, therefore, if the, if the father is asking his son to set aside the, the choice of his heart and marry someone else, that is considered the father is asking him to violate the Torah. The, marrying someone that you love is not just something that you might want to do for your own happiness. It is a demand of the Torah. Says the Marik, the Torah demands that a person marry someone that he loves, the choice of his heart. If the father is asking you not to do that, the father is telling you to be lavral de Torah, and he has no authority to do that. It's nidnur avera, it's considered something that's sinful to do that, and you, not, and you don't do that. And an amazing thing, the Marik says, marrying the one, the one that you're in love with is required by the Torah. The father probably said, you'll find somebody else, there are plenty of fish in the sea, she's not the only one, you're young, but nevertheless, the, the Marik says that that is something, a father who tells a son not to marry the one he's in love with is telling the, is telling the, is telling the child to be overall divrei Torah. So I, it occurred to me that uh, w- one has to wonder if the Marik is consistent with Rebbeinu Bachia. Rebbeinu Bachia says that Yaakov was punished because he was pursuing the woman that he loved rather than simply choosing Leah, who would have been cheaper and more affordable and would have gotten him back to his, would have gotten him back to his parents more quickly. But according to the Marik, you have to marry the woman that you love. It's, it's, it's an error to marry a woman other than the one that you love. And it's, it overrides Kibar Aveim. So according to the Marik, if Yaakov said, look, I would love to go back to my parents. I, I, I would love to bring, to bring the first wife that I, can, that I can obtain back to my parents, but I can't. I'm in love with Rachel, and marrying Leah when, I, when, when I'm in love with Rachel would be an Avera. So I can't do that. It's more important to, to, to keep the Torah than do Kibbutz Aveim. So, so, so one wonders whether this Marik is consistent with Rabbeinu Bachi or not. But I'll call upon him the, the Marik. Again, Marik doesn't say what the child's love was based on, whether it was physical attractiveness, whether it was her spiritual beauty, he doesn't explain, he doesn't give us a lot of details about the case, what it was that the son found so compelling about this woman, what it was that the father found so objectionable about the woman, when, when it would be fascinating to know more about the story. But in any event, the, 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 so even though we've quoted a bunch of opinions that say that a man's choice should be L'Shem Shemayim, a man's choice should be uh, not based on physical attractiveness, like the author of Igeris HaKodesh, but nevertheless, the, the Shavuz Yaakov has told us that it is common to marry the woman that you love, and that's what Yaakov, the, the woman that you find attractive. That's what Yaakov Avinu did, according to the Shavuz Yaakov and the other sources we cited. And according to the Marek, you actually have to do that. If you, find a certain, if you find a certain woman attractive, you have to marry her. You can't marry somebody else, because that, if, if you have a choice, obviously, because the Torah wants you to marry the woman that you love. The Torah does not want you to set her aside in favor of somebody else. There is an interesting tshuva of Rabbi Yisrael Yeshua of Kutna, 19th century figure, he was asked uh, a very, a very poignant story. He, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it reminds, it, it, it's, it's a similar story to what we read about in Bleak House by Dickens. I'm sorry, David Copperfield, I think. But um, 
His story was that there was a, there was a, a, a man and a woman. They had been engaged to be married. Three months into the engagement, the woman was struck by smallpox. And she survived. But just like Esther, just like Esther, and uh, just like Esther, in, 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 I keep forgetting whether it's Bleak House or David Copperfield, he, uh, she was scarred by the pox, and the, the, the chassan is no longer interested in marrying her. Chassan does not want to marry her anymore. So the, 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 the chassan did not want to marry her. It's Bleak House, I checked my other notes, did not want to marry her. So the question came to Israel Yeshua of Kutna. The breach of promise, breaking an engagement is a very serious thing. In Halacha, just as Lahavdul in European law, a promise to marry was very serious. It was enforceable by the courts. But in Halacha, too, from the medieval period until relatively recently, a promise to marry was, uh, was, was a very, very serious thing, and you can't just break it for no reason. So the Chassan said, I, I just, I can't, I can't bear to be with her. She, she's just, she's just, her face is scarred by the pox, and uh, I can't, I can't go through with this. And the Kalasite said, if you break the engagement, we, we're suing you for the full penalties on, under, the, under the laws of the contract that, that, that they provide for, and uh, you can't do this. You, you break an engagement without cause. And furthermore, they said that, that there are treatments, apparently there, there, there were treatments that could improve her looks. So what's the halacha? So the Marek goes through the halacha, he discusses, uh, discusses the halacha would be that, the, that, the, that the, the, man, the, the law is on the side of the man, he has the right to break off the engagement, it is a, that, that this, this is a serious mum, he says, he says that the, 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 if this disfigurement is serious enough that most people would find it objectionable, the, then, then the fiancé, that the male, the man, has the right to break off the engagement, he doesn't have to wait while they treat her, he says. He, he has to go on with it. He's, he's allowed to get on with his life. So Meikra Din, he says, the, 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 the man has the right to break off the engagement. So if the Chassan says, Yikub Adin Sahar, I want to follow strict halacha, he says, then, uh, then he has the right to break the engagement. However, he says, Al-Piyamusur, he says, if he wants to do the right thing, if the Chassan wants, if the Chassan is a mensch, if he wants to do the right thing, he says, it's not right to do such a thing, he says. The, 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 this girl, he says, you entered, into a, you, en- you entered into a covenant with her. She did nothing wrong. She, she was faithful to you. She's blameless, he says. And, and you want to betray her and humiliate her by breaking the engagement, he says. Aloha b'chapeha. He says, she did nothing wrong whatsoever. This is completely not her fault. She's a victim of smallpox. You have the right. Legally, he says, you have the right to break off the engagement. But it's very much not the right thing to do, he says. It's the... To, to, to betray your cow like this, to toss her aside just because she was disfigured by illness, he says. And what are you telling me? He says, she's not so beautiful. You know, she, her face is not very attractive. Hevelayofi, b'shekerachain, he says. We say in Eshashchayel, b'shekerachain, hevelayofi. Marry her l'shem shemayim, and you'll have banim hugonim, the, the converse of what we said before. If you marry l'shem shemayim, you'll have banim hugonim, and yirechet, if you're mechavin, l'shem mitzvah. So on the one hand, we just said, postkim do say, you're supposed to marry a woman that you love and find attractive. And the Gemara says that you can't marry someone, you can do a blind date, but you can't do a blind marriage, as we discussed previously, because you have to see her, you have to, we, we, we want to make sure you find her attractive. And the Marik says, you're not allowed to marry someone you don't find attractive, because, because Chazal considered it a mitzvah to marry someone you find attractive. So I don't know, I don't know if Rabbi Yisrael Yeshua of Kutna would have told someone going in, marry someone you don't find attractive, instead of marrying somebody else. But here, where he already, he already had an engagement, he had already committed to her, he felt, that he, he apparently felt that breaking off the engagement 
was, uh, was, was, was not proper. He felt that, uh, again, what happened to the fact that you have to love her if you really just find her repulsive? What are you supposed to do? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but he felt that, 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 he felt that the, the, the person was capable of more. The person was capable, maybe he just had an optimistic view of human nature. He could rise past this, he says. You, you married her once. You found something appealing about her once. And maybe the memory of uh, what you saw in her before the physical disfigurement should carry you through it, he says. He doesn't really say all this, but whatever it is, he says, I think we can all appreciate the, the, the moral stance he's taking. He says that, the, that this poor woman did nothing wrong, and it's, it's, she's been the victim of smallpox, and to, to throw her aside like this is, is wrong, he says. And uh, you really, he says, you, you really, he says, you really should go through with the marriage. You, you have the right not to, he says, but you really should. Don't, don't take lightly the humiliation of a, of a Jewish girl, he says. If the, if the son doesn't want to, his parents should talk him into it, he says. And the... And, and that's what he says. He says that, again, counterpoint to what we said earlier, despite the fact that postkim generally, many postkim do recognize that physical attraction is an important element of marriage, but everything has limits. Everything has its limits, and, the, and, and there are limits to that as well. Two, two final chuvas I want to mention dealing with the topic of plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery. Uh, a man, a woman who wants to improve his or her appearance with, uh, with cosmetic surgery. Is that something the Torah allows? Postkin discussed in the 20th century a variety of issues, primarily issues involving danger and uh, self-harm and so on. We're not going to get into those issues now. Most Postkin said, assuming the surgery is reasonably safe, most Postkin were willing to allow it. The, there is, however, a very interesting machlokas that, comes, that, that arises between Ravitzok Isaac Liebes of New York, the author of the Shales of Jewish Base Avi, and the Tzitz Eliezer, Rav Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg in Yerushalayim. Rav Liebes, when in, in the course of his tshuva allowing plastic surgery, he writes, Matinu betarak dosha, being beautiful is a Jewish value. The, the Torah considers it important for a woman to be beautiful. The Torah says, the Torah says that Matinu betarak dosha, that the imahus akdosha is punishtabku biyafyan. And we find Chazal made certain halachic leniencies to allow a woman to be able to take care of herself and look good. So if a woman, he says, uh, if a woman thinks that, that, that her appearance is, uh, bothers her and she feels that it's unusual, I don't know if he's talking about getting an enhancement to make you look even more spectacular. He's talking about, he says, if a person feels disfigured or has some feature that, uh, that bothers her, it's, 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 it's unusual and sticks out. How far he would go, I don't know. If you just want to have uh, a slightly straighter nose or, 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 or get rid of wrinkles, I'm not sure how, how far he would encourage this, but certainly he says if the woman has a, a feature that she finds disfiguring and it causes her great distress, so certainly he says she's allowed to do it. It's a legitimate thing to do. And in the course, again, in the course of his analysis, he mentions that uh, the Torah values physical beauty. It's considered something important. The most akadoshos were nishtab chubiyafya. Titzeliezer of Waldenberg is, is the one major posek who was adamantly opposed to cosmetic surgery on various grounds. But again, most of his analysis is beyond the scope of our talk tonight. But one point that is relevant to us is he says, it's ridiculous, he says, Maguchachu, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, he says, to start arguing in favor of plastic surgery, to bring midrashim, to talk about beauty for women, that it's so important, he says, not even worth responding to such, to, to such, to such nonsense, he says, these midrashim have no place in halacha. It's, uh, it's not even Elamedim in a midrashim. This is nonsense, he says. And you know, just because she's interested in beauty and this, he says, the, the, this is something that's 
not a halachic factor. So unlike Rav Libis, who felt this actually was a halachic factor, that looking good, we find the, the, the matriarchs were praised for beauty. Apparently it's important. We said from the Vilna Gaon, Shekerachein Behevelah Yofi. It's Shekerachein Behevelah Yofi when it's not accompanied by more uh, substantial qualities. But when it is, the, when it is, the physical beauty is important as well. So that's Rav Libis' position, where Rav Waldenberg disagrees. I'll just close with one, uh, w- w- one bit of entertaining folklore. Rav Waldenberg, when he encourages people to disregard physical beauty, he says, you know, real love and real attraction is not really contingent on physical beauty, he says. He says that the people fall in love for other reasons. And he says, Masli Amran, as the marshal goes, as the, as the saying goes, Hacheshek ein lo Love, love, passion, he says, is blind. Love has no eyes. There are a number of earlier Jewish sources where I was able to track down references to this mashal. No to Yehuda, says the one in love, the one who's interested in something, has no eyes. Malbim uses it in a couple of places. The, the earliest source, though, I was able to find for the expression love is blind seems to be Shakespeare. It actually was said by a Jewish girl, Jessica, in Merchant of Venice. She says, uh, she's the one who says that uh, love is blind. She was referring to the fact that she was embarrassed at apparently at being disguised as a boy for some dalliance with her, uh, with Lorenzo. But uh, I don't know how far back this goes. I, Cupid and the blind and so on. I didn't have a chance to do you know, full, full bore research on this. But, but apparently a number of, uh, of Jewish sources over the last several centuries or so, mostly after Shakespeare, have indeed uh, used this expression of hacheshek ein lo or achoshek ein lo but the Akedus Yitzchak was before Shakespeare, 15th century, when he wrote hachoshek ein lo so further, further research has indicated as to what, what the early versions of this, of this aphorism is, but the Sizzeliezer invokes it in the context of, of, of saying, don't worry so much about physical beauty, love is blind, people fall in love for, the way he's, the way he's using it, he means people fall in love for other reasons, it's not just physical attractiveness, you can love somebody for, despite, the, despite the way they look, but in practice though, as we said, the fact is that human beings are human beings, and human beings uh, attractiveness is often, does often involve on some level physical beauty, and as we said, even though there are sources in both directions in Aramisara, particularly for great tzaddikim like Yaakov Avinu, but there certainly are uh, major sources that indicate that it is perfectly normal and acceptable for, for a relationship to be based at least in part on physical beauty, as we saw in the Shavos Yaakov, in the context of uh, even Yaakov Avinu, and as we saw in the Vilna Gaon even, that Shekerachem Yofi is only when not accompanied by more substantial qualities, but Chen and Yofi are perfectly, uh, perfectly laudable things when they are accompanied by more substantial qualities as well.